Welcome to the Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce, separation and co-parenting here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and driving for reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce, separation and co-parenting from different angles and to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach, co-founder of Amicable, the divorce services company, and host of this divorce podcast. In this episode, I was joined by Marcy Scholl and Anthony Sider. Marcy is director of The Co-Parent Way, the UK's only co-parent coaching practice. Anthony is a dispute resolution practitioner, divorce coach, and partnership leads at Amicable. I began by exploring Anthony's experience of Christmas as a child of divorce and then discussed with Marcy common co-parenting pitfalls during the festive period. I was really interested listening to the different perspectives from both a co-parenting coach and from a child of divorce. And I think whether you're a new or experienced co-parent, you'll be fascinated by their co-parenting at Christmas advice and tips. Welcome Marcy and welcome Anthony. It's lovely to have you both, and I'm looking forward to a really good debate today on co-parenting, particularly as we head towards Christmas. And you both come from such different perspectives. I wonder if I could start with you, Anthony. Anthony, your parents separated when you were a child, and I just wondered from that child's perspective what it was like trying to sort out Christmas after your parents separated. I think, yeah, as a child... Christmas was one of the uh, times where actually there wasn't a lot of debate. It seemed to be that there was a plan in place each year. I think from memory, it was a fairly consistent plan as well. I think my thoughts around it have probably changed a lot more as I as I got older and particularly, you know, working as a divorce coach and, and a mediator as well and having those conversations with other families has probably made me reflect on it a lot more. But as a child, I think the most important thing that I can recall is that every Christmas I, I spent time with both sides of, of my family. But yeah, it was it was definitely one that was different because on both sides of the family, we were the only family with separated parents. So it was always me doing something different to the rest of my cousins. So it it did always stick out as, you know, being a bit of an outlier, I suppose. (laughs) And was it a happy time though? So do you think you didn't, wasn't something you dreaded? It sounds like it was fairly well organized from your parents' perspective. I think there were definitely some moments like, you know, thinking back, there were a few Christmases and specific instances that were a little bit more difficult than than other years. But it, I wouldn't say it was something that I dreaded. I think it, it probably came with its own complications. And that probably leads more to why am I doing something different to, to everyone else? Mm-hmm. Marcy, do you think that's something that a lot of children feel worried about, the fact that they're doing things differently to everybody else? I mean, I think it depends on uh, each situation, Kate, you know, how high the conflict is or or how amicable it is. And I think if parents are communicating well, then managing that difference for that child or those children is going to be better than if they're in high conflict. Mm. What are the common pitfalls, Marcy, with co-parenting when it comes to Christmas? Honestly, I was thinking about this before I came on the the podcast today. And I think, you know, the thing that really seems to get people and, and really gets to people's kind of emotions is this idea of panic that we're not going to see our kids over Christmas. It can often send us into like, you know, into an overdrive and, and lead us to interact in, in ways that perhaps we wouldn't 
usually at other times of year and communication can break down. And, you know, deciding that decision of where the kids are for Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, they're kind of the two hotspots to look out for, aren't they? And dividing children between the holiday season can be really charged. So I think, you know, if you're kind of looking for a tip, one of the things that we would recommend would be to kind of plan in advance as far as possible. You know, like you just said, Anthony, you know, having a structure in place meant that you knew where you were going from year to year, from week to week. And I just think that's the thing that I notice is keeps the stability for children as they, you know, are in this time of year. So keep communicating, have a plan and stick to that plan. So when it actually comes to the nitty gritty of those kind of breaking up those days and sharing out those days, is there one way better than another? Or does it come back to that same thing that, you know, everyone's circumstances are different and you've got to really think about your own individual circumstances? And I guess what I mean is, should you be splitting the day or or should you rotate the day from year to year? Are there some common things that work well? I think as long as there's an underlying premise of fairness, then I think that's that's always a good place to start from. And whether that's half the morning, you know, the morning with one parent and the afternoon with the other parent, or whether you decide to share the day together and all be in the same place. I think that depends. Some families that I work with do, you know, a week over Christmas and then handover, and then the other family does a week over New Year, and then they rotate that each year. So they take it in turns to get Christmas and take it in turns to get New Year. I'm wondering if you're going to have people who are newly separated listening to this, looking looking for tips and advice. And I think if you are newly separated and thinking about how to approach this, then try and think of it from your children's perspective, not your own perspective, because really it's about trying to keep your children as safe and stable as possible, where they have the access that they need to both of you, obviously geography dependent, but try and keep it as smooth and as respectful and as playful in a, in a way for your kids as possible. You mentioned that word playful. Anthony, do you do you have happy memories of Christmas then as a child of, of that of divorce? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I you know completely agree with everything that was that was just said as well. I think that obviously um a lot of these things are circumstantial and you know it has to work on a practical level, of course, in terms of when parents are working or not working or how far apart they are. But actually, thinking about it from the child's point of view, of what is that day going to look and feel like for them? So, for example, on my dad's side of the family, we've got quite a quite a blended family. I've got half siblings and I've got step siblings. Well, you know, some years, you know, doing a handover at lunchtime was great because my step siblings would do the same thing and then we'd all be at dad's. But other years, they'd be at their dad's that afternoon. So actually, what's the point in me going to a house with no kids in it for the afternoon when I could have stayed with all of my cousins, you know? And 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 so sometimes I think that the best tip in terms of making sure that it is playful and a really good day is thinking it through each year about well, what's happening at, at each household. And is that going to be the best day for the child? It's probably the best way to to go about it. But yeah, I've got a lot of good memories. (laughs) It's interesting then when you add in the complexity of a blended family, isn't it, that you're actually having to communicate with so many sets of families and adults. It does become something that you need to give some consideration to and in plenty of time. I mean, that communication between the blended family, I guess, 
that's something that maybe you learn as you go as a co-parent. It's not something you automatically will think of if this is your first separated Christmas, is it? In your first separated Christmas, you're just going to be thinking about your own immediate family. I mean, one of the questions that I get asked a lot of a lot of the time when I'm helping co-parents is around whether or not you should try and, you know, be together all in one place if it's your first separated Christmas so the idea that you don't go to two separate households but somehow you put a brave face on it and you all just are in one home together Marcy what what are your thoughts on that that's a really good question I was just reflecting on my own experience and I did that my son was one that first year Mm -hmm. and and we did do that we did spend Christmas day together partly because we had no idea how to not spend it together it was all like so emotional and difficult and tricky and that worked out fine. And then subsequent years, you know, there were parts of the day that we spent together. Interestingly, I've got two sets of clients at the moment who are newly separated and who are choosing to spend Christmas Day together. One of them is actually sleeping overnight in the house in the spare room and waking up on Christmas morning. And the other is just kind of popping over in the morning in time for present opening. And I think that if you can do that, that's amazing. If you can't do that, that's okay. You know, please do not beat yourself up over the fact that it is a highly charged, difficult situation that you're in. And as long as you're, you know, putting your kids front and center and, you know, you're thinking about what they need, you know, and that might be, they need their parents not to be having a massive argument on Christmas day. And and therefore you might choose then to not be in the same place. That's okay. You know, that is okay. And what about, you know, sometimes one person wants to do it all together and the other person will often say, oh, well, that's giving mixed messages to the children. And is it a mixed message if you stay over or if you come round on Christmas Day or can children handle that? I think as long as you're clear, Kate, and you have really good lines of communication in place where you're being very direct about what's going on. So mummy's staying over tonight. Mummy and daddy aren't getting back together or whatever the unit of your, you know, the makeup of your family is. But mummy and daddy aren't getting back together. But we want to spend Christmas. Both of us want to spend Christmas with you this year. And don't make it a blanket thing going forward, because as you like, you just said, it changes right from year to year. And um, who knows what's going to happen next year. So just in the moment this year, we're doing this. This is what it means. This is what it doesn't mean. And with that clarity, kids just want clarity. They want boundaries and clarity and they want to know what's going on. And I think then off they go and open their stockings and their presents. And I'm making it sound quite idealistic, I know, but roughly speaking, that should work. I think a lot of it is also around how it connects to your co-parenting for the rest of the year as well. If it's not unusual for the two of you to be in the same place, then it's probably not unusual for the two of you to see each other at Christmas time. If like like my parents, there isn't a lot of communication, you know, it's not it's not the best dynamic. For me, it would have been really unsettling to see them in the same place. You know, I can remember even when I was getting picked up, if my dad would sort of come in, it would be it would be fine. But I was freaking out about it, thinking this is weird, this is unusual. So I think a lot of it is around how it fits in with your normal week to week routine and 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 how your parenting works outside of Christmas time as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, this isn't just a one off event, is it? It's an event that's happening in the context of your either your separation or your co-parenting life. So you're right. I think, you know, the other part of that as well is, you know, I can remember as a a kid talking to my friends about it, 
I only ever saw it as a positive fact that I got to have two Christmases some years, you know, two Christmases, two birthdays, what, what not to love, you know, Santa comes to both houses and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yes, my son's so heard that, definitely. <laughs> Your son thinks the same, does he? Absolutely, not? yeah. And my daughter, who's from my current marriage, is jealous <laughs> that he gets two Christmases. <laughs> what to do? <laughs> yes. Anthony, what about traditions then? How important is it to continue with some of the Christmas traditions that you've maybe set up when parents separate? And if if it's not possible to do that, then how do you go about making new ones? Yeah, so I, I think for myself personally, I can't remember the Christmas traditions prior to my parents separating because I was only about five, five at the time. But something that we did create on my mum's side of the family was our own new tradition. It was quite common that what would happen with our Christmas is that I would spend the morning with with mum, have lunch with extended family and then do that handover in the afternoon. So we started doing a, a Christmas breakfast, which, you know, was croissants and orange juice and fruit salad. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit different because it was summertime Christmas. But that was a tradition that stuck. We, you know, even right through university, I'd come home with my flatmates on Christmas morning because no one does a Christmas breakfast. So we'd all come home to mum's, have Christmas breakfast, and then they'd go off to their families as well. And even now we will, you know, FaceTime home and, and have Christmas breakfast. So that was just something that we adapted and we we made that work for us. And um, yeah, Christmas breakfast is my favourite part of Christmas Day. <laughs> That's really interesting. So out of the situation where you're or forced to do something different, something new and creative and, and lovely creates the new onward tradition for your family. I like that. That's great. And that word ad- adapting is is like the best word ever, isn't it? For everybody going through this, it's it's like it's okay to find a new way of doing things and, and actually can be quite nice and you can be creative about what you do, right? So Yeah, exactly. It can be a fresh start, can't it? A chance to, as you say, do something yeah. different and creative. Absolutely. Let's touch on presents now. So we often get this age-old debate, don't we, of presents, and sometimes there can be very different economic circumstances for parents, mums and dads, or dads and dads and mums and mums. And how do you tackle the issue of presents and what you're going to spend and and how that's going to work? It feels like a minefield just thinking about it. <laughs> I think it is probably is a minefield. Some general good practice is, you know, for it to be child-led where appropriate. So child writes Christmas list or Christmas letter to Santa or, you know, whatever that looks like. That's probably long enough, if possible, to be shared between both houses. And if there are different economic circumstances, to really encourage the child to kind of think about that spectrum of of cost if they're old enough to do so I'm, I'm just assuming let's say that they are and sharing the list you know sharing the list between both houses indicating you know what you can afford to buy or what you want to buy or or get for them this year and communicating and you know what Kate it always comes down to communicating you know if you can talk about it you can generally come up with some kind of solution that works mm-hmm. for both houses. How do you improve the communication then, Marcy? So let's say you want to try and do the right thing. We've said with all of these things, whether it's the arrangements on the day or whether it's present buying or who's having who or what traditions you're going to carry on. We've said all the way through, it's all about your ability to communicate 
how do you go about improving the conversation or the communication between you? So let's just say you're the person who recognizes it's not great. You want to have a conversation with somebody about how to get it on a better footing. Where do you start? I think you start with how you listen to someone, because when somebody feels really listened to, they feel able to lower their defences. And it's, you know, we know it's when we're defensive that makes us aggressive and angry and, and maybe slightly combative. So that listening piece is really crucial. So if you can listen to someone without interrupting them for more than 20 seconds, that's the, the benchmark rule. Apparently, we interrupt people often within that 20 second time period. So if you can get past that, that's going to just help kind of lower any conflict that there is. And then after someone's finished speaking, when they've actually really finished speaking, then introduce, you know, the topic or the thing that you would like to talk about. So, okay, so somebody's, you know, one parent might be talking about, oh, it's a nightmare and we always have to do this and we always have to do it your way. Let them get it out. Let them get it all out and just kind of wait and then say, how about we sit down and we talk about this particular thing? And, and I have a couple of ideas that might work for us both in a really calm way. Those are my kind of top two suggestions. So paranoid about interrupting you then as well. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing worse is there when you're talking about communication and you're like, don't interrupt, don't cross this person when they're speaking. I think that's really fascinating. That 20 second rule feels like a really practical tip, actually, that's very helpful. So thank you for that, because I think if you're right, I think if you can just hold it in and get past the 20 seconds, it opens up the possibility of a dialogue, doesn't it, rather than a one way. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think from a from a child's perspective as well, communication on, you know, presence and things like that is is really important. I can remember that that was one of the things that I mentioned earlier where there were, you know, there's some difficult memories. And a lot of that was around gifts because on my dad's side of the family, like I was saying before, it's uh, quite quite a blended family. So I went from having one sibling who's 11 years older than me, so very different dynamics already, to a blended family of seven of us, you know, 20-year age gap from youngest to oldest. So on my dad's side, the, the gifts weren't as valuable you know it weren't as expensive as I would get on my mum's side and there were lots of different components to that as well you know I think on from my mum's point of view it's not that she could afford those gifts it's that she didn't want me to be getting less than my cousins on that side of the family didn't want me to feel as though I was missing out but actually the difference in the gifts from mum and from dad made me feel quite awkward when I was doing that handover on Christmas day you know that, oh, well, what did you get at your dad's house? And almost having to try and justify it or feel as though it was getting judged from the wider family, which I don't think as an adult, I don't think that's what anyone was doing. But as a child, I sort of felt like, is that what's happening here? You know, why, why are they asking these questions? And yeah, that was something that always felt a little bit, did feel a little bit uncomfortable for me. And that, what sort of thing can you say to a child then to help them with that kind of thing? Because you're right, it's natural curiosity, isn't it? The same way if your child has been with the other parent, it's very easy to fall into the habit of going, oh, how, what did you do? And and the children can feel very interrogated, can't they? When as an adult, you're just sometimes you're just interested in, and maybe sometimes there's something more going on than that. So how can you make it? okay for kids in that scenario if they're feeling the same sorts of things do you think Anthony? I think it's just 
you know, having a, a sort of conversation with them probably prior to Christmas, sort of preempting that there may be that there may be differences or, you know, what 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 that may look like or the explanation. As a child, I probably didn't understand the difference in those dynamics. And, you know, you don't really understand the concept of money as a child. And a lot of the times you can fall into the, you know, the trap almost of feeling as though, you know, the amount that you're getting in terms of your presence is, you know, how much how much love there is. And, you know, is that being shared out? Are other other siblings being different? I think, you know, sitting down and explaining that and talking that through and hearing, importantly, hearing that from both sides and the same messages on both sides about the other parent as well is something that would have would have helped a lot, I think. That's really interesting, isn't it? Also that maybe that kind of invitation that you don't have to speak if you don't want to. If you don't feel like telling me what happened at dad's, well, that's okay. I'm really interested to know, but I, I don't need to know. It's up to you. And that's then balanced with when a child compartmentalizes, you know, really doesn't want to share information because it feels a bit scary or, you know, they don't want to upset anyone. And, and you know, we know that children from divorced parents often want to keep the peace, you know, a lot. Just kind of helping them to not overlive that is really important as well. So it's that balance is quite tricky, I think, to find. Yeah, I, I think so, absolutely. And I think it, you know, it is one of those things that sticks. I mean, you you probably both picked up on the slight hesitancy there, hi mum and hi dad, because I'm trying not to do it now, you know, even as an adult, because it is it is quite a sensitive topic, I think, you know, because you're mixing Christmas with finances and they're two quite big topics and big potentially problematic um, topics as well. So you're always trying to tread the right line there. <laughs> Yeah, you can tell, can't you? It obviously never goes away. But also, I mean, what strikes me listening to both of you, if you think about being the child of a divorce of set of parents, you're so much more resilient because you're coping and dealing with blended families, with differences in households. You you must be a dream to live with, I kind of think, because as you, as you get older, you become so much more used to navigating different sets of circumstances. And it, it strikes me that there are some real positives in terms of the resilience you develop and the ability to fit into lots of different scenarios, not just having to have all the traditional things around a home that's been the same for sort of donkey's years. So I don't know whether that resonates at all, Anthony, whether you do think this yeah, is uh, it's it's something that I, I think is absolutely true. I, I, I don't think I've thought about it a lot, but as you were saying it just then, I, I, it does make me think actually around Christmas time, whether I'm with friends or my partner or family Christmas doesn't stress me out it's never something that I worry about I never mind what the plan is or whose house we're going to or what's happening and it it probably is a result of that which isn't you know isn't particularly a bad thing I quite like not not getting stressed at Christmas (laughs) (laughs) yes we're just coming to the end of time. It's been a fascinating discussion. Marcy, if there are people listening who are approaching that first Christmas, what are the top tips? What would you say to somebody going into this festive period? Communicate. <laughs> just keep talking. Plan. Ask your kids what they want. Not letting them become the decision makers in the process, but you know, hear their voice. Hear the voice of the child. And just be respectful and considerate of the other house as much as you can be yeah I, I think that's right and as, you know I think you, you as you say there's this emotional overlay onto Christmas which is like no other holiday and it's just trying to 
keep it in perspective, isn't it? When you're being really triggered. And I think as well, it's about looking after yourself. Ultimately, if you're able to look after yourself and just step back from that being sucked into the Christmas hiatus, I think if you can just approach it with a little bit of self-love and kindness and just thinking that nothing has to be perfect, if things don't work out quite as you had planned, you know, that doesn't mean everything's gone wrong. Christmases will come and go and there will be other things that you can do. And maybe there are other days when you can celebrate things rather than having to lump it all into the 25th of December. And I think that's really, you know, that flexibility. I think you learn that as a divorced parent, you learn to be flexible about when you celebrate things because things don't always work out on the days that you want them to. And actually just something you said there, Kate, you know, some people might be finding themselves on their own for Christmas Mm -hmm. for the first time this year. And that might be really tricky. And I, you know, seek out a friend, seek out groups of people, friends, family, ask to join in. It's okay to ask to join in. I think that's, quite, important. that's quite a tough one, isn't it? Because you're right, it is okay to ask. And sometimes intact families don't think about it because it's just not on their radar. But most people would be welcoming of somebody who was on their own they, at Christmas. And it's one of those things you think, oh, I can't ask or oh, I don't want to or but. But I think you've just got to put yourself out there sometimes and try it. What's the worst that can happen? Exactly, I agree. Well, well, listen, it's been fascinating talking to you both about Christmas and child arrangements. Obviously, if people are stuck, Marcy, they can come and see you. They can come and get some help. Tell us about where they can find you. Yes, absolutely. You can find the website www.thecoparentway.com or on Instagram, it's at The Coparent Way and the same for Twitter, at The Coparent Way. Fantastic. And Anthony, same for you. You work obviously with Amicables and Amicable offers co-parenting sessions and a new co-parenting contract as well. Where can people find out about you? Yeah, so my socials are Anthony underscore Cider on Twitter and Anthony Cider on LinkedIn as well. Brilliant. Thank you. And of course, you can find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Kate underscore daily and hear more about new podcast episodes by following at divorce underscore podcast. And you can also subscribe to this podcast and look out for the updates by visiting the divorcepodcast.com. Thanks very much, both of you, um, for a fascinating conversation. I'm going to say this early. I wish you both a very, very Merry Christmas. <laughs> and thanks for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Merry Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas. <laughs>